Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined, as always, with Dr. Raylia Liu. Welcome, Raylia. Thank you. Welcome. Raylia is a fertility specialist, gynaecologist and the director of Women's Health Melbourne. Before we start on today's show, uh, we have a little favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, please rate it on iTunes and we'd love a five-star rating. It really helps other listeners to find our show and the resources that we offer. If you do have any questions that you'd like us to answer, we're also doing an episode soon uh, to address questions from listeners. So please do send us an email on podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Today we're joined by Zoe Milgram, founder and chief clinical officer of Eugene Labs. Zoe Milgram is a genetic counsellor with over 10 years of clinical experience providing ethical and clinically relevant genetic testing in public and private health systems. She is passionate about empowering people through education and psychosocial support at every stage of life, from pregnancy, birth and planning for death. In 2018, Zoe co-founded Eugene, a digital genetics and healthcare company where she works to make genetic testing more affordable, inclusive and accessible to everyone. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so great for you to come on, Zoe. We really appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure. We've done our own episode on genetic testing about a year ago, but it's really nice to have an expert. Zoe and I know each other from a long time, um, way before we were both professionals, and um, both of us had a real career interest in genetics and taking them in different directions. It's so beautiful that we've been able to work together and continue to work together. as with Zoe starting up Eugene, which I have advised lots of my patients to strongly consider using. Um, so Zoe, can you tell us a little bit about your training and your career and how you got to this point? Sure. So my training was pretty direct. I started with an undergraduate degree in behavioural neuroscience and knew very, very early on that I was really passionate about the interaction between genetics and psychology. So I went on and did a third major after that in human genetics and followed it up with a honours thesis in Huntington's disease, exploring the psychosocial elements of that and environmental modifiers to genomics. So really, really passionate about how the way humans are affected by genetic conditions. I then went on and studied to be a genetic counsellor and have worked um, across a number of private and public healthcare institutions over the years. And I think one of the things that I always came back to was how amazing these technologies were and how they were only really being utilised by a very, very small subset of the population, perhaps 2 to 3% of people, those who were affected already by genetic diseases or those who had children born with differences and they were on this sort of genomic odyssey to try and identify the cause of their children's problems. The, the reason that I founded Eugene was because genetic technologies have evolved so much in the last five to ten years and the cost of these technologies has fallen dramatically and with that falling cost, accessibility is now a really, really important factor con- to consider. So um, sort of being from a reactive um industry, we're now able to be a proactive service where we can utilise these genomic technologies to support people as they plan for the future rather than react to things that have already happened. Yeah, that's fantastic. So just taking it back a little bit um, to our listeners who might be considering whether or not they would like to investigate further their options for preconception genetic screening. 
a lot of people might not know what that means. So are you able to just clarify what exactly we're testing for and who are we testing? Sure. So genetic carrier screening is a test of uh, a couple, perhaps, or an individual's DNA. And it's an opportunity to identify whether there are any genetic changes that are carried by people. We know that all healthy people carry between three and eight recessive genetic changes. And recessive genetic changes basically mean that they don't affect a person's health and there's no way to see them Um, by looking at a person and there are no basic blood tests typically that would pick these up. So we do rely on a specific sort of test, which we call genetic carrier screening. Genetic carrier screening is a test of a person's DNA, not to diagnose them with a genetic condition, but rather to identify if they carry a recessive genetic change. We know that everyone carries recessive genetic changes and that these are just part of who they are, passed on by to them by their parents and shared with their siblings and cousins. Genetic carrier screening is a really valuable test to consider as part of reproductive planning or within the early stages of pregnancy to identify if a couple have a variation in the same gene, which basically means that there could be a risk of passing that condition on to their child. Genetic carrier screening is something that's relevant to all couples regardless of a family history because we know that 90% of children who are born with an inherited genetic condition have no family history. And so our approach to genetic carrier screening has really changed in the last year or so where we were generally only offering genetic carrier screening to couples with a family history or from a a specific ethnic group such as the Ashkenazi Jewish community or the Mediterranean communities um, for thalassemia or Tay-Sachs in the case of Ashkenazi, the Ashkenazi Jewish community. But as these expanded panels have become more available, they're actually more relevant and more inclusive of all people And it's really important to recognise that people come from mixed ethnic backgrounds these days and often people's self-reported ethnicity is not actually where they're from. Not accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, we used to target patients when they, it was almost too late, like they'd had a baby with a problem Mm. and now we can help them understand what their risk is before they get to that point. And uh, for listeners out there, I've spoken about this before in in public forums. So um, it's not a secret that my husband and I, myself, were both carriers of cystic fibrosis. And we found that out through preconception genetic screening. Neither of us had a family history of that. And it's a a very significant burden um, for a child to go through with cystic fibrosis. And we were lucky that we were able to use IVF electively to have a baby without cystic fibrosis. So that's a personal take on how preconception genetic screening has helped me and my family. So if we go back to, I guess, basics for the listener, we're quite familiar with 23andMe and all these tests at the moment where we, I don't know, haven't done it. We spit in a tube and send it off. Uh, Reading through the Eugene website, it seems like it's a pretty similar process. It's really easy. Yeah, so at Eugene, we absolutely want to make genetic testing as accessible and inclusive as possible. We had a really fantastic uh, experience a couple of weeks ago where we actually spoke to a couple who live in rural uh, Victoria and they live on a farm and um, we use Zoom, which is an encrypted video 
platform to provide pre and post test counselling and um, the gentleman in this couple actually joined us from his tractor. Amazing. So (laughs) you know it really gave us a buzz to be able to support this couple who would have had to drive five hours and wait on endless um, wait lists to get to see a genetic counsellor. So for us accessibility is really important. Um, Being able to collect saliva samples is a little bit about accessibility as well. We certainly don't um, liken ourselves to 23andMe, so we're all about only offering proven genetic technologies that are accessible and medically actionable. I was going to say because the issue with 23andMe is you're matched against whatever data they have. It's not actually scientific. Yeah, so we use a clinically diagnostic laboratory um, and for us only reporting on variations in genes that are proven to affect function and therefore can be utilised much like Rayleigh did um, with her family planning, empower these couples to move forward and make informed choices and be supported by their doctors and have technologies that they can actually use to minimise those risks if that's what's important to them. What percentage of the population undergoes preconception genetic testing in Australia? I mean, obviously it's fairly, it'd be growing very fast. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an exact statistic on that, but we know that genetic carrier screening has evolved in terms of how many genes are included in that panel. Um, So originally it was launched uh, in the Jewish community. There was an in-schools program that screened for Tay-Sachs disease, which is a recessive condition carried by one in 18 to one in 20 were Ashkenazi Jewish people. Thanks, Rayleigh. It's we, quite hard. <laughs> we do make a good team. <laughs> um, and so knowing one's carrier status was really helpful. Um, the program was actually established by Dorja. Doria Sharim, which is in Israel, um, and was supporting the religious community where um, arranged marriages are actually quite common. And so couples were only actually introduced if there wasn't a shared genetic risk. And so um, things have evolved a lot, obviously. Um, But in terms of these panels, they've grown quite quickly. So until probably two years ago, it was more common for obstetricians to be offering an IVF specialist and peds and GPs to be offering a three gene test um, that included cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy and fragile X, which are some of the more common um, recessive and excellent genetic conditions to affect an Australian community. But as these technologies have have evolved, these panels have grown and, you know, you can screen anywhere from one to upwards of a thousand genes Mm. now. And Zoe made a good point that um, the initially those three tests are very Anglo-Celtic targeted mm, yeah. uh, and Australia's population is pan-ethnic. So that's more relevant to some Australians than others. Absolutely. Genetic testing isn't routinely offered in Australia. I'm guessing this means it's not covered by Medicare. So genetic carrier screening is not covered by Medicare. Specific genetic testing is supported if there is a specific family history or if uh, the female partner has already been identified as a carrier of some conditions, partner screening is supported. But for expanded carrier screening, there is no Medicare subsidy. There's a huge research project which will be launched uh, hopefully 
at the end of this year, if not early next year, which is called Mackenzie's Mission, which is a government-supported $20 million research project, and they're hoping to screen 10,000 couples across Australia. Um, so this will teach us a huge amount about the carrier frequency of the Australian population, but also explore couples' opinions and how, how they feel about having this sort of test and whether it's helpful to them in terms of their reproductive planning. Yeah, You're involved in that, aren't you? Yeah, look, I'm excited to have been asked to be one of the clinician practices involved. So my patients will be able to participate in the Mackenzie's mission screening uh, once it gets off the ground, which is very exciting. Very exciting. Medicare, Medicare support is complicated because we really need community to uptake and want something and rally behind genetic screening and ask your politicians, ask your local members and the health ministers to help fund these things because genetic screening is, you know, the future is now and our Medicare system is often a little bit behind and slow to uptake new technologies and that puts the cost on to patients. Mm. What we really want is equity of access. We want everybody to have the same opportunity to access this technology um, to make it fair and equitable to all Australians. And something else I wanted to add um, on it's not routinely done. It's really right. important to acknowledge that the RACGP and the RANSCOG guidelines. Okay, so what are these? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so recently there have been changes in the RANSCOG guidelines and also the GP guidelines and we're put in a little bit of a difficult position because our colleges recommend that all patients should be offered the opportunity to have genetic screening They've limited their recommendation to cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy and fragile X. However, there is no funding. So every patient that I see, I offer the opportunity to undertake screening, but if they choose to undertake screening, it's funded by the patient. Mm. That brings us to another question going in a different direction, and that is, does everyone need to be tested? It's a really, really good question, Geordie. So I think everyone needs to be made aware of what genetic carrier screening is and we make that a really big focus at Eugene to provide each couple or each individual who's planning to have carrier screening the opportunity to talk to one of our genetic counsellors. So having an understanding of these huge panels and what the potential outcomes of these tests might be not only on the individual but for their plans um, around reproductive planning is really important. It's important so that people understand what their potential options might be and how it might impact the way not only they feel about themselves or their partner but about their future risks. So I suppose when people ask does everyone need it, it's a really, really hard question. Obviously, I believe it's really important that everyone should be offered the opportunity be to Be aware have, that it exists. Yeah, to yeah. be aware that it exists so they can make a choice that feels right for them. We know that 2 to 2.5% of couples will share a variation in the same gene, which means technically they're at high risk of having a child born with a specific condition. Knowing who that 2 to 2.5% of couples are is really hard because 90% of children born with these conditions don't have a family history. Mm. I can tell you I have an example um, from my practice last week that I saw a couple for the first time who was suffering infertility, um, but the woman had a family history uh, of a syndrome called Lee syndrome 
So her parents had had four children and two of them had passed away from a serious metabolic disease. And this is, this is a very rare case because I discuss preconception genetic screening with all my patients, but this is a rare case where um, we needed to investigate which platform covered this particular issue. And uh, in her case, it's because of a family history of, of a tragedy, very important to make sure that, that she and her partner are not at risk. Or if they are at risk, we can deal with it. Absolutely. We, were, we started off by talking about the process. Sure. So maybe a couple realise that this is something they should do. Mm-hmm. What, what happens next? Sure. So there's a lot of ways that you can access genetic carrier screening, but we know that it can be notoriously challenging. So at Eugene, we try and really simplify the process. So it's as simple as potentially jumping on our website, which is eugenelabs.com, little plug. Um, and on our platform, you can read a little bit, little bit about genetic carrier screening and decide whether it feels right for you. Um, you can then purchase your test online and book in for a pre-test appointment with one of our genetic counsellors over Zoom, which is an encrypted video conferencing service. Um, And those appointments are available before, during or after hours. We also have weekend appointments because we recognise that life is notoriously busy, but making time as a couple to understand and consider your reproductive choice is really important. Um, Once you've had your pre-test consultation and discussed some of the options and um, availabilities of these panels. We ship you a saliva-based kit to your home. Spitting in a tube is a really weird thing to do, (laughs) um, but there are some really important things that we recommend to couples in terms of minimising the risk of contamination and ensuring that there's a good sample of DNA. Um, And then we enable uh, the couple's saliva to be shipped overseas to a laboratory that we work with. And within three to four weeks, we receive the results and we produce a couple's report. And what that couple's report is all about is simplifying those results, which can sometimes be complicated and overwhelming. So many big words. All the big words. So we try to take as much medical jargon out of our reports as possible and make it all about the couple, empowering them, ensuring that they understand what their options are and what the next steps are. And then those results are disclosed again over Zoom where we sit down with a couple and we talk about what that means for them and we make sure that they walk away not feeling scared but rather empowered with this new genetic knowledge and we ensure that all of these results are communicated with their managing doctors to ensure that they get a seamless transfer of care back into their reproductive journeys. I was going to ask about continuity of care and where this fits in. Is it Mm. something GPs refer you to? Or could it be referred to? Absolutely. So the majority of couples that we see are referred to us by a healthcare professional. So we have a huge proportion of IVF specialists who use our service to support their couples in that pre-pregnancy planning stage. But we also see a number of referrals from GPs and obstetricians. Um, Our obstetric uh, referrals are mainly in couples who are pregnant already. And so we absolutely love to meet couples within the first trimester at the latest to ensure that those results are back in a timely manner that they can act on anything that may influence their pregnancy choices. And that's probably just coming back to the fact that this technology is so new. The ideal time to screen a couple is before they get pregnant, Mm -hmm. but often the first time that they come into contact with a doctor that knows they're had retrospectively had wanted to get pregnant is when they already are. So that means that we're kind of like fighting against the clock to get an answer as soon as possible. 
Absolutely. And part of our pre-test counselling is talking about that. Is this information that's going to be helpful or is this just going to raise anxiety levels for couples? And so that's a really important thing that we like to give people the opportunity to think about and take time out of their busy lives to talk about. Yeah, Critics of preconception genetic screening argue that finding out about all of these different genes that we carry is a strange new world, kind of too much information situation? Are we messing with nature? What's your answer to that? So I think, you know, as a parent, I reflect on my journey to parenthood. And I think about the choices that I made. And I think about a lot of other couples who I've spoken to over many, many years. And they always say, you know, you say to them, you know, what do you hope for in your journey to parenthood? What do you hope for for your child? And the number one response is always, I just want my child to be healthy and happy. And when you think about health, there's so many things you can't control. There's so many things you can't influence. And genetics is sort of this this unusual balance between things you can and can't control. So you can't control what you pass on to a child necessarily, but you can be informed and empowered about what those things might be so that you can make choices about whether you want to take action to minimise the chance of having a child with a condition, much like you um, have done and many couples do. And I think having come from a public health background where we're diagnosing children once they're already born with these conditions, you always ask a parent, you know, in your in your future family planning, would you like to consider what options might might be available to reduce the chance of having a second affected child? And for many parents, they say, you know, I wouldn't change anything about my first child, but I wouldn't wish it on a second child. And so having that information in advance is often really life-changing for couples, but it's really, really important to take each individual couple's as their own selves, they've got their own belief systems, their own religious beliefs, their own experience with disability or or health differences. And respecting that is really, really important. And part of respecting someone is giving them the opportunity to make choices that are right for them. Absolutely. Especially people going through infertility, they're they want everything to be perfect and there's yeah. so, so much pressure on them already. And my guess is some of those people would be going, I just want to test for everything before before we do it, if we go any further, I want to make sure everything's perfect because I'm, I'm going through so much to get a baby. What's your advice to people who just want to be tested for everything? You said there's over, up to a 1,000 things now, mm-hmm. not just the three to eight. Yeah. So uh, at Eugene, our panel includes 288 diseases that are relevant to reproductive planning. The panel can be extended a little bit, um, but it's probably not actionable within the context of a pregnancy, more for planning. Um, but I really like to create and normalise what genetic differences is and how much we can actually test for. So, you know, a lot of couples say, I want to test for everything. I want to make sure there's no risk. And that's actually not possible. No. Yeah. Um, and so for us, again, it comes back to pre-test counselling and ensuring couples understand what you can test for and what the limitations are. And we know that, you know, there are about two and a half thousand 
uh, genetic variations that can affect health, growth and development. And we're really only ever testing a small subset of those. And the subset that we do test are either congenital, meaning they're present from birth or they develop shortly after birth. And they're serious life-threatening conditions that significantly impact that child's quality of life and how you would raise a child. We're not testing for eye colour or height. I was about to say, you know, what about blue eyes? No. (laughs) And we're not testing for adult onset conditions either. Absolutely. Genetic carrier screening, we really, really try and avoid identifying health risks in the couple themselves. So it's all focused on reproductive planning. This is not genetic testing for healthcare purposes of the individuals being tested. This is going back to the beginning a little bit. But you talk about it being recessive genes. Just for all of us that are not scientists, yep. could you explain recessive genes and why testing is important? Sure. So let's go back to year 11 biology, one of my favourite years at school. Um, So if we think about genetics, it's really important to think about us as humans. So as humans, we're made up of building blocks called cells. And within these cells are 23 pairs of chromosomes. We inherit one uh, copy of each chromosome from each of our parents, so 23 from our mum and 23 from our dad. And depending on whether we're male or female, the 23rd pair of chromosomes is either XX in a female or XY in a male. The first 22 pairs of chromosomes are called autosomes. And when we talk about autosomal recessive genes, we're talking about genes that are coded or located on those first 22 pairs of chromosomes. And genetic carrier screening or any carrier screening um, can test generally the majority of autosomal recessive genes, but we can also screen for X-linked conditions and X-linked conditions are related to genes found on the X chromosome. And that's different whether you're a man or a woman. And so we do treat them quite differently because the reproductive risks differ. So when we think about autosomal recessive genes, we require both parents to be identified as a carrier of a gene change in that same gene. And that's when there's a 25% chance that any pregnancy could be affected by that gene. But when we think about X-linked conditions, it's a little bit different. So for a female who's a carrier of an X-linked condition, there's a 25% chance that she could have a male child who is affected by the condition and a 75% chance that she would have a healthy child. Obviously, not obviously, but um, female or male. But when we... When we think about male carriers of X-linked conditions, it's a little bit tricky. So without going into too much detail, typically because men are XY, they don't have that second backup, so the second X chromosome, and so we would expect them to be affected by that condition. So when we think about X-linked screening in couples, we tend to focus on screening the woman for X-linked conditions because that's where the risk lies for offspring so that she could have an affected son. Yeah. So just um, the way I explain it to patients is that for recessive conditions, if you've got one good copy, you're okay. As long as you've got one good copy. And a carrier is somebody who has one dodgy copy and one good copy. One affected copy and one that's fine. If two carriers get together and the baby gets the dodgy copy from each of them, then the baby has the disease. And because parents can either give the good copy or the not so good copy. When we make sperm and egg, we only give one copy of our gene to each of those cells to pass on. So the combination is the important thing. Mm. 
carrier couples can have healthy children. They can have children who are carriers just like them, but they can also have children who are affected by the disease. And there's no way by looking at the carrier in their general health, if you don't test, to find out that they're at risk. Zoe talked a little bit about the Doya Sharim model, which was the original Jewish community model where they kind of tested couples to see if they were compatible before sending them off on a date. In a funny way, we've come full circle because uh, we used to look at individuals and see what their risk was and then compare them to their partner. But with expanded panel screening, it seems like it makes sense to see if the couple's compatible, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's absolutely our approach at Eugene. So because more than half of our clients are pregnant already, we really want to save time um, and minimise the chance of an unnecessary anxiety. So we know that at least 70% of individuals will be picked up as a carrier of at least one genetic gene, one gene change. And knowing that information about oneself and having a name of that automatically raises anxiety. Mm. But when we screen couples together, there's only a 2% chance that a variation will be shared between the couple. So even though we're finding out and sharing this information with people, which can feel overwhelming, we're able to alleviate any anxiety by being really reassuring about the chance that even though this condition is now part of their family history, it's very unlikely to affect their children. And so couple screening is really a, a change in the way we approach genetic carrier screening, but we've had a really, really positive outcome and response from couples, not only that it's not blaming one person, um, but, you know, you're going in to have a child as a team and having team or couples genetic testing is really about that. Zoe, I'm really interested in your take on informed consent with expanded panel screening mm. because when I counsel a patient about one particular disease screening for or testing for, mm. I'm able to fully explain what we're looking for. When we screened for 288 conditions, it's just physically important and time-wise impossible mm -hmm. and just understanding impossible to go into great detail with the patient about every single condition. And probably unnecessary. Well, it, it, it's just not possible. Yeah. <laughs> so even as a doctor, if you sat here and explained 288 rare genetic conditions to me, I probably wouldn't be able to walk out of the room and, you know, say exactly what you said back to me. So mm. as a patient, that's certainly impossible. Yeah. So how do we combat that? That's such a good question. I think informed consent is something as a genetic counsellor that we believe is really, really important. You know, we acknowledge that genetics is inherently personal and any person who's considering having genetic testing is really making themselves really vulnerable. So our approach to um, helping couples provide informed consent is really about exploring their beliefs about genetic differences or disability, gaining an understanding about where uh, their limits are, um, what risks they're willing to take. We often present a specific genetic condition which is most relevant to them or something they've heard of before. A lot of couples know someone with a genetic condition and so by using that as an example, we can help the couple gauge where they may sit in terms of their own line in the sand around health difference. For us, we try not to tell people about 
the conditions. One, because it's really overwhelming. Two, because it's impossible to explain 288 specific genetic conditions within a short consultation. But also because in 98% of cases, these couples should never have to know about these things. These things are horrible. They can be really scary. And there's something incredibly important about preserving naivety. Absolutely. So, you know, balancing the importance of informed consent without taking away hope is a really important part of genetic counselling. And we always ensure that if couples are identified as carriers of these specific conditions, that we spend a lot of time talking about what those conditions might be, what they look like, how they might affect a child, and enable the couple to come to a point where they feel that they understand a little bit about it so that they can make a choice about that specific condition. Well, I joked before about blue eyes. Can you describe some other sort of ethical dilemmas that come up with testing? I feel like Rayleigh's got something to say. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking about how disability advocates mm. um, often talk about, I guess, have a reticence towards the use of certain technologies because we don't want to send a message that society won't tolerate or uh, be kind to or facilitate life for disabled individuals and disabled children. Um, I, I would say just a, a clear and reassuring message to anybody who's listening, the, and I'll, I'd love to hear Zoe's take on this, but the emphasis on preconception genetic screening is about giving couples knowledge and letting them make informed choices about pregnancy and, and, and childbirth. In terms of the aim, it's not a eugenic aim. It's not to, you know, kind of rid the world of, of people with certain conditions and not to kind of change our population in that way. What's your take, Zoe? Yeah, I'm absolutely in alignment on what you've just said, Rayleigh. So for us, genetic carrier screening is all about empowering couples with the choice. What they do with that information is not something that we ever advise them on. It's, again, presenting choice. So um, using cystic fibrosis as an example because it is one of the more common conditions that we screen for, even if a couple are identified at being at risk of having a child with CF, we would never tell them what to do with that information. It would always be a conversation about you know, what might it be like to raise a child with this condition? Who can we link you into to support you and, and educate you and upskill you in that? You know, and also, you know, evenly, if this is something that you don't want to choose for your child, what options are out there? How can we help support you to minimise that chance? It's never we've found this and therefore you're in this group. Yeah. So I'll give you another example of a patient of mine who I looked after earlier in this year, who's happily uh, expecting a baby. She had a normal conception with her first pregnancy. She gave birth to a baby at full term. And unfortunately, a couple of days later after she delivered her daughter, she passed away from a severe metabolic condition. It was later discovered that this was a recessive problem, that both she and her partner had one gene that was wrong, um, and both of those copies had gone to her daughter. And there was a one in four chance that she could go through another pregnancy and give birth to another child healthy at birth who would then 
after leaving the mum's system where the placenta's doing all the enzyme work and, and being born would not have any chance of survival with today's medicine. So when I saw this couple, they were very raw and they just lost their child uh, and they really didn't want to have to go through that again. And what we decided to do was to choose to go down an IVF pathway where we could take healthy eggs, healthy sperm. They weren't infertile, so couples in this circumstance are often normally fertile, so their IVF outcomes are usually very good, and make embryos in the lab. And we were able to test the embryos at the day five stage. So the only embryos that were either carriers or not affected would be offered for transfer to achieve a future pregnancy. And this is a way that we were able to help this couple without having them in a circumstance where they were already pregnant naturally and then if they wanted to prevent what happened to them, if the baby they were carrying had the same problem, they'd have to consider a termination of pregnancy or continue to kind of repeat what was a real tragedy for their family. Just to remind listeners, we've done some previous episodes on preconception genetic testing and also on the genetic testing of embryos or PGD. So have a look back at earlier episodes of Knocked Up and you can see a lot more detail on those topics. So Zoe, for our listeners today who might not have had the opportunity to have preconception genetic screening offered to them by a doctor or may not have heard of it before, can you tell us a little bit how they can access Eugene Labs screening? Sure. So accessing Eugene Labs is as simple as jumping online to eugenelabs.com. Uh, we have some basic information that you can read on our website. You can purchase your kits directly online and book in for pre-test counselling with our genetic counsellors. So it's really, really easy. Um, and I suppose one of the things is because it's not currently supported by Medicare and it is all out of pocket, you don't need a doctor's referral. So you can really access this when it feels right for you. Yeah, and when I counsel my patients, I say, please ask them to send me a copy of the results so I can have a, a copy at the same time you do and regroup. If a person gets genetic testing results, what's your feeling about their risk of being knocked back by a health insurance provider? So that's a really important question. So genetic carrier screening is not designed to diagnose an individual with a health condition themselves. However, in very rare cases, there are some secondary findings that may increase the personal health risks for the future. Uh, health insurance is not impacted by genetic testing, but life insurance and income protection insurance may be affected by some sorts of genetic tests. Genetic carrier screening isn't typically one of those because we're not diagnosing or using that test to diagnose an already existing health problem. But we do always talk to people about the small potential chance that it may influence their health in the future and advise them to speak to a health broker so that they are informed. And what happens to couples DNA once the test is done? Is Good it question. sitting in a lab oh, yes. somewhere? Could someone access it at any people point? People are very nervous about their genetic matter or starting to be. Absolutely. So we work with a clinical laboratory and um, they're rec internationally accredited to perform diagnostic testing. And part of that is actually about ensuring 
a person's right to privacy and anonymity. So all samples that are sent to the laboratory that we work with are anonymized um, and DNA is not shared. Uh, so a lot of people would have heard of the Golden State Killer and how... I was going to say, you're fascinating. Absolutely. So um, clinical services are not like that. So there is no way to be traced to your DNA. In fact, all physical DNA samples are destroyed within 60 days of arriving in the laboratory. Sequence data is stored. It's de-identified. They do contribute to international research. Uh, Genetics and genomics is a rapidly evolving field. And the only way that we're going to improve the health outcomes of everyone around the world in the future is by learning and, and working together. But in terms of privacy, clinical genetic testing is incredibly private. So no one can go in and find your results or access them They are stored by the laboratory completely confidentially. So thank you so much for coming on Knocked Up Zoe. It's been wonderful to have you. Uh, Those of you who know a bit about my bio know that I have a PhD in preconception genetic testing and screening and this is a special interest area of mine clinically helping couples who are at risk of having children with genetic disease to have healthy families And um, it's been really wonderful to cover this topic, which I think needs a lot of airtime. And thank you for listening to Knocked Up today. And thank you, Zoe. That was fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. Where can our listeners find out more about you and Eugene? So it's as simple as jumping online to eugenelabs.com. Everything is available online and we are always available for any questions, either via email or phone. And we look forward to supporting everyone on their pregnancy journeys. Thank you so much. For more information on genetic screening, fertility and women's health, you can also visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and definitely check out past episodes. We've done a few on these on in more depth on some of these topics before. By subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star review, it really helps others find us. Our mission is to empower women seeking real, honest and accurate fertility advice and we appreciate your help. You can follow us on the socials at Women's Health Melbourne and also at Dr Rayleigh Alou. We'll be back with another episode soon.